continue in a seven-week series. We're on week four of a seven-week series entitled God's Value and Grace Church. In the first week, we looked at identity. Uh, then we looked at God's value being gospel-centered. Last week, we looked at God's value of spirit-empowered worship. And this morning, uh, we look at what it means to be word-driven, uh, to have God's word in our lives and respond to its power and receive its power and purposes. Uh, and the title of the message, of course, is simply Word Driven. So before we get into the message this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we do thank you for the opportunity you give us to come week in and week out to a place, a time set aside where we can worship together, be encouraged by one another, to hear from you and respond to you. And so God, now as we open your word, we pray that you would teach us in all wisdom and all truth, that you would find us ready to receive. God, help, uh, help us by your Spirit to, uh, to leave all the distractions aside. Give us clarity in discerning your voice this morning, we pray. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you or behind you or beside you that they would hear from the Lord this morning and respond to him. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I want to start off with this verse from Paul to the church at Thessalonica as the overall theme, the overall running uh, consistent thread throughout the entire message this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. We're going to read just one verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And it says this, Paul says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Now, the first thing I want us to think about in regards to being word driven is understanding what Paul's talking about in this phrase, receiving the word of God. Receiving the word of God. When we read this passage, we realize Paul's talking about receiving the word and accepting it, not as a human word, but as God's word, and letting God's word do its work in us and through us and work itself out in our lives. But in order to understand the text of this, we have to understand what Paul means when he says the word of God. Now, the Greek word for the word of God is logos theo. It's actually a phrase that appears many times in the New Testament, but also has a Hebrew equivalent in the Old Testament. And there are four connected but distinct differences when you start unpacking this phrase, the Word of God, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Now, the first um, distinction is the utterance of God. One of the ways we interpret or understand the Word of God is when we look at it, when, when, uh, when God uses it first, primarily first, with, with Abraham. The word of the Lord comes to Abraham in a vision. Then we also see this phrase again when the word of the Lord comes to Moses, when he's leading the people out in the Exodus. There's a couple times the word of the Lord is made a, as an utterance to the prophets. The New Bible Dictionary says this about the word of the Lord. It is divine communication, which can be a command, a prophecy, a warning, or an encouragement. Sometimes the word of the Lord comes in a vision in the Old Testament 
or a dream or sometimes an audible voice, the word of the Lord in communication from God to his people, primarily the prophets. Now, something important to note about the word of God coming to the the prophets in the Old Testament is that each time the word of the Lord came, it was personal and it was relational and there was an expectant obedience to it. It was specific. It involved an interaction and it involved an invitation. When the word of the Lord came, whether it was an utterance, a dream, or a vision, when the word of the Lord came, it was supposed to be interactive. God speaking, people hearing and receiving. And so the word of the Lord became authoritative. It became distinct. And it was recognized as something to be followed and received. Not only that, the word of the Lord also carried with it this understanding that it was creative. Just like in the garden, the word of the Lord spoke things into existence. And so as the prophets are hearing these utterances and seeing these visions and dreaming these dreams and hearing the word of the Lord come to them, what do they do? They begin to write them down. And so there we have the written word of God. Now, it's believed that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And then all the prophets, as they're hearing this, begin writing them down. The words are collected, and it's what we have been called the Old Testament canon. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says about the Old Testament canon. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, both the joints and the marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The writer of Hebrews is saying this Old Testament canon, the utterances of God that were written down, is active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, which is fascinating because the writer of Hebrews is writing this 2,000 years later after the prophet's. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying this utterance from God that the prophets wrote down is alive. It's active. And this Jewish thought begins to think the utterances from God have been written down. It's alive and active. There's got to be a person connected to this. And that's what we see next. The word of God as a person. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, the utterances of God were given to Moses, he wrote them down, but grace and truth were were realized through Jesus Christ. And so you see this distinction starting to happen in Scripture. Utterances of God, the Word of God, written Word of God, and now made flesh visible the person of God in Jesus John is making it clear that all the things of God, all the words of God are going to be embodied in the person of his son, Jesus. It's pretty fascinating. 
that God is a triune God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, the early church, as God uh, gives the, the, the early church and, and the, um, the, the person of Jesus to the world, Jesus begins to speak, physically speak and talk. And so when Jesus speaks, it's even greater than when Moses spoke or wrote because now it is the very voice of God speaking. And so the early church begins to call the word of the Lord the word of life, the word of truth, the word of salvation, the word of reconciliation, the word of the cross. All embodied in the person of Jesus. Think about this. They were literally interacting with the words of God. And this good news that Jesus has come, that the angel pronounced, this good news I bring to you, became flesh and is living among us, is going to keep going. It's the proclamation of this good news that happens through the Spirit, the word of the Lord. And that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians. He said, when this word of the Lord came to you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this gospel came to you, you received it. The words that he's talking about, the word of God is, that he's talking about, is the message of the gospel. The story of Jesus that was brought with the power of the Holy Spirit. And just like the prophets in the Old Testament, the New Testament writers started going, I'm going to write this down. Which is where we get the New Testament canon. Distinctives, four distinctives, the utterances of God, the written word of God in the Old Testament, the word of God as a person, the Holy Spirit proclaiming the word of God in the New Testament. Now, unlike in the past when God spoke to one prophet, the word of God can speak to every believer through the Holy Spirit. Everybody who believes in Jesus can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and interact with the word of God. So we see this chronological procession. We see this desire from God to interact with his people, give utterances to the prophets. The prophets take the word, write it down. Then the prophets see the prophecies revealed in the person of Jesus. And then Jesus goes away and the Holy Spirit comes and the proclamation of the word continues. Four distinct ways that are connected to the word of God. And so most of us would agree that at this time in history, at this point in history, there is a lot of misunderstanding about Christianity, about the Word of God. There's a lot of disillusionment, especially here in the U.S. with the modern American church. And Paul commends the church at Thessalonica, I am so thankful that you received the Word of God. You received all of this with joy, and you received it to let it work itself in your out in your life. And so the question this morning is this. If Paul was here this morning, would Paul have the same reaction to the modern American church as he did with the church at Thessalonica? Would Paul be excited about how we have received the word of the Lord. 
I think as we sit with that question, we think about our modern church, our modern culture, we can conclude, conclude pretty quickly that Paul would, Paul would probably be a little confused, maybe a little disappointed, maybe even at times a little angry with how the modern American church interacts with, with and represents the Word of God. As I was talking uh, and thinking through this this week, which was a lot of stuff, you are getting the Cliff Notes version of what I looked at this week. And we still may go long. As I was thinking about, where does the Bible show up? We use the Bible in a courtroom with someone to put their hand on it to swear by the Bible. We also swear in politicians with the use of the Bible. And here's what's interesting. In April of this year, there was a study at the University of London that showed that jurors in England were biased against those who didn't or wouldn't swear on the Bible. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Even though the jurors or the person putting their hand on the Bible may not even have believed in the Bible, and yet they were biased because they wouldn't do so. Here's another. A Gallup study was done in 2022, just last year, how Americans perceived the Bible as a whole. The studies show that this is a record low. Only 20% of Americans now say the Bible is the literal word of God. 20% of Americans, which is down from 24% when they did it in 2017. And just as a side note, if you were living in the 80s, that's half of the percentage when it was in the 80s. There's also a new high of 29% of people say the Bible is just a collection of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts reported by man. This marks the first time significantly more Americans have viewed the Bible not as the defined and inspired word of God than ever before in history. In other words, the majority of Americans do not see the Bible as divinely written. And then, of course, you have the church. Within the church itself, we are often famous for misquoting Scripture. Or taking scripture out of context and using this verse or that verse to fit our agenda or our need or to make a really good social media post. We don't always have the best relationship or communication with the word of God ourselves. So when you think about it, the Bible seems to show up in these odd places, taking on this unique position and the majority of Americans don't even think it's really written by God. So unlike the church at Thessalonica, there's strong evidence to show that the word of God has not been received very well. And this is also true when we talk about the person of Jesus as the word of God. Now I want to challenge you and ask you something. I want to ask you to do something this week. I want you to just pay attention this week to what people say and think about Jesus. What are people saying about the person of Jesus? I think you'll be surprised that there are a lot of different versions of Jesus out there right now. In the academic world, colleges, universities, and research institutions, there is a push to remove the historical Jesus from all agendas and all academics. In fact, a couple of decades ago, there was this plan to go through the whole New Testament, specifically the Gospels, and remove anything 
that didn't fit with what Jesus would have really said or really done. Now, I'm not sure who they thought they were to figure that out, but that's the push. And so Jesus has been condensed, if you will, to a good teacher, a good man that may have lived, but certainly not God. There's also this push in academic and political circles to not only push Jesus out, but to add to what Jesus would have said to fit their agenda. And what's interesting is that this type of thinking has moved into the church. Now listen to this. In an American Worldview Inventory of 2023, a Barna Group publication, it says 56% of professing Christians think that Jesus sinned during his time on earth. 56% believe that, of professing Christians, believe that Jesus sinned while he was on earth. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because if Jesus is not perfect, then he's not the perfect atoning sacrifice for my sins or yours. It means that he can't be our substitute on the cross. But 56% of modern American Christians believe that Jesus sinned. And it proves that there is a lack of understanding who the Word of God is in the person of Jesus. Now, I know that I'm probably talking a lot about stuff that you already know, but I think it's a good reminder. George Barna goes on to say this, The results of the American world inventory are frightening for biblical Christians. When you put the data in perspective, the biblical worldview is shuffling towards the edge of the cliff. The veteran researcher continued, young people, in particular, are largely isolated from biblical thought in our society and are most aggressive at rejecting the biblical principles of our culture. And then he says this, facilitating a return to biblical thinking and living in America will take an intentional, strategic, and consistent effort by the remaining population that represents this biblical approach to life. That's you and me. Now follow this pattern. When you disregard or are confused about the spoken word, and you don't read or reject the written word, and you reject the person and claims of the physical word of Jesus, it follows that you will reject the proclamation, the gospel of the Word of God. The gospel is the good news about the Word of God, and it will not be received as a voice of authority, but one of just many ways to think about how to live our lives. And that's what's happening in the culture, and that's what is seeking, sinking and sneaking into our churches. And so with all this data and simply paying attention, we can notice pretty quickly that there is a deep need to rediscover for ourselves the Word of God. Paul says, I thank God that when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a word of men, but what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Three verbs, receive, accept, and let it perform. When somebody knocks at your door, unless it's like one of those like solicitor people, maybe even then, they knock at your door, what do you do? You open the door and you receive them in. You can't, you can't receive something without embracing it, 
right? Paul says you have embraced it. You've received it. You've accepted it as God's word by faith. And therefore, it will have its work in your life. Receiving the words of the Bible will change you and I because it is alive and active. Because the author is alive and active. There are many people over the years that have said to me this, Matthew, I am a Christian, I love Jesus, but I don't really read the Bible. And maybe they have read sections, maybe they've heard stories about sections, and if that's you this morning, if that's your story, that can change this morning. You can start today receiving the word of God as it is and can change you which brings us to our next point as God's word is the power and purpose the word of God was given to us by God to work in us change us and transform us into the likeness of Jesus you and I have the privilege of allowing the Bible God's word to determine how we are going to live and how we're going to love, and how we're going to think, and how we're going to view and treat other people. That is what the Word of God is meant to do. But as you know, it doesn't just happen. It takes time, quality time, and diligence. And what's our tendency in America? We want it how we want it, and we wanted it yesterday. And God's word doesn't work like that. We have to trust in the slow work of God, but we have to be patient and we have to be in a position to receive God's word. Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will, re you will have success. One author says this, success, according to a biblical definition of success, is ultimately related to solid biblical teaching and study rather than our human methods, techniques, and strategies, which too often resort to pressure, coercion, and manipulation in order to achieve our own agendas, results, or success. I love 2 Timothy 3, 13 through 17. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's what we just talked about. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from which you have learned them, that from the childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good word. I want to unpack this just a little bit. The word of God. The truth about the word of God is that God's word is holy. Verse 15, verse 8. Scripture, uh, Paul calls the sacred writings or holy writings. Now many of you, if you have your Bible, especially the older Bibles, have this two words on the front of the book. It says Holy Bible. It means it's separated. It's sacred. It's set apart. It's different from all other books. 
And so we read it that way because it's the only book that is alive. And secondly, Paul says that God's word was given to lead to, 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 for wisdom to lead us to salvation. Let me make sure I'm, I'm saying this correctly so that you, we all are on the same page. The Bible does not save us. The Bible points to the one who does. John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Salvation comes by trusting the Christ who is revealed in the Bible. The Bible also reveals our need of salvation. It's a mirror to show us how off we are, how filthy we've become, how, how distant we've become from God. But it also gives us the rescue plan that Jesus, while we were in that position, he dies for us. That's what the Bible tells us. And then after we have received him, it gives us this verse of confidence. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might know you have eternal life. That is the confidence we have before him. All of this is in the word of God. Paul says next that the word is true and dependable. Now, how do we know that the word is true and dependable? Because he says all scripture is God breathed and God inspired. I love what one author said. It's inconceivable that God would give his people a book they couldn't trust. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Are we starting to understand what we have in our hands? Whatever the Bible says about me, about you, about life, about God, about our situations, it's dependable and true. And Paul says that it's useful in teaching. Scriptures are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training. Uh, watch this pattern. The scriptures are profitable for teaching. It teaches us what is right. For reproof, teaching us what is not right. For correction, teaching us how to get right. And for training in righteousness, how to stay right. Now, I know I don't like to think about, we don't like to think about sitting down with our Bibles in the morning with a nice cup of coffee or hot tea. And saying, God, I'm going to open your word today. Teach me about all my sin. But there is very much truth to God's word used for reproof and correction to get us right and to keep us right. Paul Tripp in his daily devotional, New Morning Mercy, said this, Today you'll work to deny your sin or you'll receive the Spirit's conviction as grace and run to Christ for rescue and forgiveness. That's what God's word does. Why? So we can be equipped for service. Verse 17. The simple understanding is this. The better we know the word, the better we're able to live and to work out God's purposes and his glory. That's why Joshua says, don't just glance at the word for five minutes in the morning. He says to meditate on it day and night. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth from your thinking, from your life, but meditate on it. Now let me ask you, what does it mean to meditate? Meditate meditation has this great word picture. 
it's this picture of the cow chewing the cud. Have you ever noticed that when you see a cow uh, just standing there in a field, he's just always chewing? Well, the reason a cow must chew their food twice is to order and ingest it properly. Here's a fun fact. Some of you will just remember this from today. Cows spend nearly eight hours of every day chewing their cud. This plus normal chewing of food can total upwards of 40,000 jaw movements per day. This is the word picture of meditation. A cow chewing the cud. So this is the believer in God's word. This is you. And this is our Bible study that we offer at Grace. So let me just tell you this. I want you to be a cow. Not at lunch today, but with God's word. To meditate, to chew on it over and over and over. To digest it well with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. God's word is not meant something to be something that we just rarely engage with. It's meant to be something that's part of our lives and in community with other people. And that's what Carl's going to talk about next week. With all this in mind, with the Word of God in mind, with all the, uh, the revelations of the Word of God, with the purposes and the power of the Word of God, we don't read the Word of God like a novel or another fiction book. We sit down with the Word of God knowing that there is power and eternal consequences to what we are about to read and study. Scripture talks about the Word of God describing itself as honey or bread or light. And he says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 119, 103, how sweet your words are to me to taste. They are sweeter than honey. Here's an interesting side note. That there was an ancient Jewish tradition of when students would first to learn to write the alphabet that they would write the verses of Scripture and they would dip their finger in honey and write it. And when they wrote the Scripture in honey, after they wrote the Scripture and the letters in honey, they would lick their fingers to remind them of how sweet the Word is. God's Word is not to only be read or to be heard, but experienced with all our senses. It's a living Word with the purpose to satisfy, bring joy, bring sweetness to our lives so that we want more and more of it. The scriptures also talk about God's word being the bread from heaven. Deuteronomy 8, 3. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. God's word is meant to sustain us and feed us. And what does Jesus describe himself as in John chapter 6, verse 35? I am the bread of life. The Bible is also going to be a light into our darkness. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Now, now, now think about this. As we come to God's word and we read God's word and we receive God's word, it gives us clarity. It sheds light on what is true and lets us know what is not true to know which way to take. Which step to consider? 
the scriptures are meant to have a real impact on our life. And so let me ask you, does the scriptures have a real impact on your life today? Isaiah 55 from the message needs to be mentioned here. Just as the rain and snow descend from the skies and don't go back until they've watered the earth, doing their work of making things grow and blossom, producing seed for farmers and food for the hungry, so will the words that come out of my mouth not come back to me empty-handed. They'll do the work I sent them to do. They'll complete the assignment that I gave them, says God. And so that leads us to the final point is responding to the word of God. James 1, 22 through 25, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Verse 25, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. It would be a sad and shameful thing for us to have the word of God at our exposure, at our fingertips, so that we have this this honey and bread and light, and we go, thanks, but no thanks. I like what one author said many years ago. We don't come to the Bible to read it for facts and data and what we can get out of it. We come to the Bible so the Bible can read us and what God can put into us. Have you ever thought when it comes to the Bible, we have the printing press We have the Bible on our phone, on our iPad. Have you ever stopped to think how many believers in human history would have loved to have the Bible at their fingertips? Do you know how many people in the world right now who would love to have the Bible at their fingertips in their own language? Do you know how many people have died to bring the Bible to places where it didn't exist? I guess what I'm saying, it it is really, really easy for me to read the Bible have access to the Bible. I thought about this week. We're going to get to heaven, and people are going to be like, wait, you didn't have to interpret a stained glass window to figure out what the scripture was saying? You mean you didn't have to memorize it when you were five years old and remember it all the way until your adulthood? You, you had it at your fingertips? You're telling me that people didn't have to die to get you the Bible? I guess the point is simple. Let's be people. Let's be people who receive the word of the Lord. To read it in, pray it through, and live it out. Because I think there's areas of our life that each of us could agree that we need the word of the Lord. Our speech, 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks is to do so as the one who is speaking the utterances of God. That's a weighty verse. That means everything I say should sound something like God. Anybody got that mastered? What about our thoughts? 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We're destroying arguments, all arrogance, raised against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of God. The word of God needs to change 
our thoughts. Anyone got their thoughts to be against it? All their thoughts to be against Christ. And behave and live like Jesus. 1 John 2, 6. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. Our speech, our thoughts, our deeds all need to come under the authority of the Word of God. How many of you brought your Bible today? This isn't a guilty thing. Just hold it up. Just if you have your Bible, you can you can hold up your phone, iPad, whatever you brought. If you don't have a Bible, don't leave here today without one. We want to give you one. I want us to stop and think as we look around at these Bibles and realize how blessed we are to have what we have. There are many places in the world that don't have what we have, especially in all those translations and colors translations. I want to close with a video of a group of Chinese getting their Bible for the first time. For this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. May that be our prayer in reality as a church that is word-driven. Let me pray for us. God, I remember the passage in John chapter 6 at the very end of that where people were leaving your words and you turn to your disciples and say, do you want to leave too? And Peter stands up and says, where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so, God, this morning I pray for myself, for everyone here, to receive the word of the Lord. God, forgive us for pushing it to the side, for relying on our own strength, our own wisdom. God, I pray each of us would receive it and meditate on it and chew and chew and chew and digest and digest and digest so that we can live it out. In our speech, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. God, help us, we pray, to receive your word like honey, the sweetness and the joy that we can have when we receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen.